You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hey everyone, I'm here with Dan Bigman of Bigman Geophysical with an awesome special offer for APN listeners. Dan, what have you got for us? Well, uh, for the past year, I've been everywhere I've went, people have requested training on ground penetrating radar and they've all voiced concerns that there's nowhere to get accessible quality training uh, for a really reasonable price. So what Bigman Geophysical is doing is we're going to put on a three-part webinar series on GPR basics, ground penetrating radar basics, that's going to take place Mondays, April 18th, April 25th, and May 2nd, 2016. In this course, we're going to break it into three parts. Part one is going to go over basic concepts and theory of ground penetrating radar. Part two is going to talk about processing data, visualizing data, and GPR data interpretation. And then part three is going to be all about case studies and applications of ground penetrating radar to uh, several different industries, including archaeology. And how long does each class period last? So each class period is going to have a live section on Monday uh, for each of those Mondays. It's going to be about an hour and 15 to an hour and a half of, of class time. And then uh, there's going to be additional time for question and answers throughout each course. What we're also going to do is do an unlimited replay for each topic for each week from Wednesday to Sunday. So if you miss it or you want to see it again, which we hope you do, then you'll be able to log into a special website and replay uh, the webinar. And how much is this going to cost us? So the regular price of this webinar is $2.99. And what we're going to do for APN listeners as a special deal is give a 25% discount for the first seven days that we're running registration. So that's going to go from March 7th till March 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern time for that 25% discount. After that, we're still going to give APN listeners uh, a discount that's, uh, you know, just for them, it's going to be 10%. But if you really want to get in this for relatively inexpensive, then the 25% off is going to give you a rate of 225 for the course. So where can people go to sign up for this class? They just have to pop over to bigmangeophysical.com forward slash APN to get the special rate. That's B-I-G-M-A-N-G-E-O-P-H-Y-S-I-C-A-L.com forward slash APN. And there they can sign up and go to a secure website to enter all their information and get that 25% off. So whether you're a seasoned archaeologist or just getting started, this course will really be an asset for everyone. Head over to bigmangeophysical.com forward slash APN, or you can click through from the APN website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com to get your 25% off today. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax and enjoy our hearty helping of Archaeosoup. Questions of Doom. Hello and welcome back to another Questions of Doom. <laughs> In this series, as ever, 
I attempt to answer questions that you send my way using the rkosuper.gmail.com email address as displayed on the YouTube channel homepage, but as you'll also see at the end of this video. In answering these questions by video, it is my fond hope, as ever, that the video or rather the answer will not just be useful to the person who's asked the question, but also anyone else out there who might be wondering the same thing. Now, today's question of doom comes from Portugal, uh, and it comes via Tiago Rocha. Dear Mr. Soup, it says, I am an archaeology student from Portugal, and I'm doing work for my classical civilizations class. More objectively, sorry, more specifically, probably, he meant to say, about the Roman urbanism in the Orient, specifying some cities such as Philippopolis, Gerasa, uh, Bostra, and Palmyra. Until now, I've always thought that Romans had just one type of urbanism, and there is, uh, for and there is for applying it to, if not all, uh, major cities in the Roman Empire, independently of its location. Therefore, I wanted to ask if there are many different types of uh, urbanism used by the Romans. Did it change in different areas? Since I am, and have been for a while, a follower of Archeosoup, I was wondering if he wanted and could do a short video talking about urbanism in general and explaining the overall differences in the major types of urbanisms used in ancient Rome. I wanted to use, if you allow me, this video as an introduction for my work. I would really appreciate your help. Sincerely, Tiago Rocha. P.S. Continue archaeologizing the world. Good luck. <laughs> well, thank you, Thiago. Um, you ask a very interesting question, and I have to say, straight off the bat, the one thing I'm not going to do is go through all the different types of Roman urbanism, for there are as many types of and variants of Roman urbanism as there are essentially Roman towns, certainly Roman major cities. But I will talk to you about the issues surrounding uh, the variation in Roman urbanism. First of all, I can recommend this really good book, um, Roman Urbanism, um, <laughs> edited by Helen Helen M. Parkins. It's from Rutledge, uh, Rutledge um, um, uh, Publishing House. Um, I'll put the details to it below. It's just a series of essays which are good to consider when you're considering this topic, uh, Roman Urbanism. Um, but I suppose the key thing to start with, really, um, aside from that book um, suggestion, is this concept of Romans spreading the urban paradigm. There is this idea that the Romans went around um, essentially planting cities in a Roman style. It's quite specifically after the style of the city of Rome, not just a cultural style, but actually, uh, I suppose, looking up and, and looking back towards the, 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 the light of the civilization that was Rome. There's this idea that that was the case. Um, and to a certain extent, this is true. Roman cities did have standard features. Roman towns often had these features as well. In fact, many Roman camps had these features after a while. These features included things like, for example, a forum, a place where people could meet, trade, pay their taxes, um, do business in, in public. It was an important place, the forum, for, um, for Roman commerce, uh, the control of the population, but also actually the Roman sense of doing things above board. 
if you were doing things right, things were done in the Forum. Uh, bathhouses, again, often a feature of Roman urban sites, certainly cities, more often than not towns, and sometimes even smaller places. For example, even tiny little Prestatin, where I'm from, in North Wales, we have our own Roman bathhouse. It's the only bathhouse uh, on the North Wales coast, as far as I'm aware, between Chester and Bangor, but unless it's there. So even these backwater little middle of nowhere places had bathhouses. Also, other things that, that we think of when we think of Roman urbanism, uh, often, for example, the larger towns and cities would have some form of amphitheatre. Uh, Chester, for example, a city not too far from Prestatin, uh, Chester, just across the border in England, um, has one of the largest amphitheatres in Britain. Um, I believe places like St Albans had, uh, had impressive uh, event spaces as it were so racing tracks and um, and, and amphitheatres they, they turn up all over the place as far flung as Britain in Italy in Spain and Portugal in France in the far in the, uh, the the Middle East as it were and also in, in Africa as well these things do turn up so there are common things which make appearances all over the Roman world and um, but I would argue that actually what's happening is that there is a veneer a Roman, Roman urbanism often uh, being applied to these places. Once you scratch the surface, really what looks like a Roman city, uh, often underneath uh, and often certainly outside, away from the centre, becomes very quickly very different. And also actually the layout of the different cities is very variable. Um, for example, and this is probably my favourite um, example of this, is, is actually uh, Roman uh, houses in, for example, Tunisia. Um, there, are, there are Roman houses which are built very specifically to meet the needs of the local people. And they're, they're actually copying, uh, or rather, sorry, they're adapting local building techniques. And that is essentially you have a, an underground home and an above ground home. So in these Roman houses, you have features such as the atrium, you have the, the places where people eat, the places where people gather, you have the, the kitchens, or a standard Roman house. But it's copied room for room below ground. This is because in the height of the summer it's much easier to live underground. Um, and, and these are the kind of dwellings which actually we see, for example, in the Star Wars films as well. Um, they're famously uh, Luke's uncle, the, uh, the, the Skywalker ranch as it were. Um, I don't know, no, that's why George Lucas lives. The Skywalker homestead um, <laughs> is both above and below ground. Uh, that, that local building technique was actually adopted by the Romans, or rather I suppose they adopted a Roman veneer to it, but they continued to build in the way that made sense for the area. And that's something to keep in mind. Roman urbanism had to adapt to wherever it was. In Britain, it was much wetter and colder than it was in other parts of Europe. In, uh, in northern France, the social situation was much different in the economic situation to what it was in southern France. Uh, in Africa, again, the environment really dictated actually what Roman urbanism would look like. There's also the question of what is uh, Roman? I mean yes we've touched on things like amphitheatres and, and bathhouses and things like that but actually if you think about it Rome, the Roman style and the Roman culture certainly the Roman architectural um, uh, 
philosophy changed dramatically over the course of the history of the Roman Republic and then what we call the Roman Empire. It changed immensely over those centuries. For example, in the lifetime of Augustus, famously he said, uh, you know, I found Rome a city of bricks, but I left it a city of marble. So in his own lifetime, and as he would probably say, uh, largely due to him, the Romans dramatically changed what it was to to build in the Roman style, which itself was actually an adaptation of the Greek style. So some people actually call this stuff, um, I suppose like a Hellenistic, actually, a broader Mediterranean Romano-Greek style of building. But these styles, these features, they had to be adopted by the Romans first, and then eventually some of these things bled out elsewhere. Things like, for example, having naked statues in public were very surprising to the Romans initially, and, and Augustus was directly involved in sort of feeding that to the Roman public and getting them a bit, a bit more comfortable with it. That said, though, I mean, we, we're giving the Mediterranean people, the Greeks and the Romans largely, um, an awful lot of credit here, where maybe they don't deserve all the credit. There, were, there are actually hints of urbanism in other parts of the world. For example, in Britain, we found what looked like almost Mediterranean-style towns, grid layouts, long before the Romans get here. Uh, I think one in particular down in the south. Um, this is probably due to contact with the Roman world, trading, for example, salt for wine or tin, this kind of thing. Um, but it, it, nonetheless, it shows an independent source of urbanism, which the Romans eventually come upon in places like Britain and then modify. So again, this, this idea that the Romans went around stamping their sort of, no, you will have this, you will have this, um, isn't quite that simple. And certainly, yes, you had to have certain things in order for, say, for example, to do your business as a Roman, but you didn't necessarily have to have them uh, all the time. And this applies to, for example, graves. You know, people would have Roman graves on the outside, but inside these, these tombs, it would look very local. It applies to clothing. You'd dress Roman in public, but maybe at home you'd dress a little bit more locally, as it were. And it, therefore, it does apply, most certainly, to towns. Now, um, a good example of this actually comes from the Iberian Peninsula. And I'm sure you're, you're aware of this, um, Thiago, where, especially in Spain, um, the, the Romans actually decided to give and hand over, for example, the planning process to local people. This is part of the strategy of pacification. They decided to, to, uh, to say, well, you can put that where you want and you can move these around wherever you want them, whatever's best. And essentially there were letters um, passing between Spain and Rome talking about, well, actually, what do we need here? Can you send an architect to consult on this? So there was continuing, continual reference back to Rome and to, to, to the Roman ideal, but the, the ability to actually have a little bit of Roman, uh, and there's a little bit of local influence rather, sorry, in Roman town planning was part of the whole process of, of, of pacifying the locals, putting their energies into planning the future as opposed to fighting for the past. And this is one of the reasons why everywhere you go in the Roman world, the Roman urbanism, the Roman um, paradigm, is adapted, is altered, is changed, and in some cases is just thinly pasted over the top of what was a native large town or, uh, or city. Now, finally, and, and hopefully I've discussed enough um, of the sort of the, the elements surrounding this topic to give you some food for thought, um, but finally, uh, one thing I would like to talk about is the fact that not all things from Rome 
made it out of Rome. I suppose what I'm saying is that there are some specifically Roman, i.e. Rome from Rome, and um, uh, features of architecture which aren't really replicated in other parts of the Roman world. And um, I was talking about this with Mrs. Soup over breakfast this morning, and, uh, and um, uh, well, I'll tell you what she said in a moment, but what I'm re referring to are the insula, uh, the, 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 the the sort of the tower blocks, the flats that you would have in Rome, in Ostia, I think some of them found in Pompeii. These um, essentially slum housing. Now Mrs. Soup said, um, oh yes, yes, what we need now to finish off our lovely new Roman town is a good slum. We need to build a slum. Well, it's just not like Rome, is it? We need a good slum. Um, and, um, <laughs> and she's right, in that sense, you don't design a slum. Or, or slum housing into your new Roman city. That's probably why uh, these blocks of flats weren't really exported across the world. Hail Caesar! <laughs> From here on you will have a forum, a bathhouse, and also um, bespoke uh, slum housing where people can suffer and die. Um, <laughs> so not all of these things were actually mapped out across the Roman world. Um, and often, for example, the, 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 these, these blocks of flats were very dangerous, especially in the upper floors. Uh, fire hazards, um, wind and weather erosion, you know, stairs, a lack of, for example, health and safety um, um, features. Um, this, that wasn't something which they exported. So not everything in the Roman paradigm actually, uh, or rather so not everything from Rome was included in the Roman paradigm. They didn't just sort of take off a, like a plaster cast of Rome and put it on wherever they went. And I suppose that's the key to understanding Roman urbanism. It's, it's the fact that they were sort of exporting an ideal of Rome and, and an idea of Rome. Um, and therefore they didn't actually take everything everywhere. And in, in many ways, that's a good thing, because as I say, as Mrs. Soup was saying, you don't necessarily want to plan um, slum, uh, slum and, and uh, 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 these apartment blocks into your, into your shining new microcosm of the Roman world. Um, so I suppose hopefully that this, this discussion has sort of gone some way to, to, to helping to think around this topic. Um, the trick, uh, Thiago, is to look closely at where you are, look closely at what it is that the local people required, did they, were they happy to see the Romans, were they not happy, were they living in particular environmental conditions, or was it quite a nice uh, temperate area, um, was it economically and politically and socially stable, or did you actually have to put off the grand building projects and just build small towns, small villages, uh, almost like vicus living uh, dwelling areas instead of grand city projects. It's all about the local area and it's all about adapting that paradigm to, to meet the, the local needs, but also to make sure that the locals aren't overwhelmed by something which isn't right for them. Because that, that actually, believe, believe it or not, that was an important part of encouraging people into the Roman world. It's been often been said that, well, I've heard it said, that the Romans were like a gang of thieves. And um, in order to keep everyone happy, they'd have to share out the loot, for example, rights to be a Roman citizen or actual money. And the more loot, and so the more thieves they had in their gang, the more loot they needed. And the best way to keep on adding to their gang, to add to, add to their, their ability to, to pay and keep, keep client kings happy, for example, um, uh, the, 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 the stronger that need was, the, the best way to do that was to make sure that you weren't changing things too much. You made it clear what the rules were. If you wanted to be a Roman, if you wanted to trade with Romans, you had to do it this way but you also allowed them to worship their own gods uh, privately. You allowed them a, a certain amount of, of 
freedom and cultural uh, continuity below the surface. Anyway, uh, I've talked about this for quite a while now. Hopefully, as I said, this video has been useful. Um, if any of you guys out there have any comments or suggestions or thoughts, or actually particular sites where this, this tension between a Roman public uh, image and a, and a local private image um, is evident, please do comment below. I'm sure uh, Chiago, in fact, I would love to read about those. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully this has been good. So as ever, until next time, guys, do take care. Bye-bye. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.